Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, good morning, church. Good to be with you all today. Will you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 13. We are going to be in verses 24 through 27 today, Mark chapter 13, 24 through 27. I titled the message for today, uh, Return and Rescue, Return and Rescue. Let me just give you some context before we jump in. It's still Tuesday uh, of uh, the last week of Jesus's life. He is on the Mount of Olives. Uh, This is called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Mark 13 is called the Olivet Discourse, and if you remember from the last two um, weeks, the last two sermons, we've been looking at uh, really Jesus warning his disciples of the coming destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Essentially, what we took away uh, from this passage for our lives is, one, uh, Jesus warned his disciples and us about false teaching. He also warned about persecution. That's two of the timeless truths that we can take from that, that, uh, that passage there. And so um, uh, what I want to do, though, is just, again, remind you until we're done with Mark 13 of the structure that we took for this chapter, uh, because this chapter is really difficult to interpret, and there's theologians and scholars who say, hey, Mark 13 is only about first century, 78 AD things. Uh, some say it's all end times. Well, I think it's both. I think it's a combination of both. Um, and so um, the 1 through 23, which we already covered, were events leading to 70 AD. I don't think it's reference to end times. Um, and if you missed those two messages, I encourage you to, to, to go and watch them. And then today, we're going to be looking at 24 through 27, and then we are going to be in the end times today. And then um, after this week, uh, Jesus gives two parables that correlate to both 70 AD and the end times. But today, we're going to be in the end times. So uh, let me go ahead and read the passage before we get started. It says this, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Let's pray. God, we honor you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who's patient and slow in coming and returning, not wanting people to perish, but to come to life in you. May God, at the same time, we await your coming. We expect your coming and we welcome your coming to take us home, to return and rescue us. God, we pray that you would allow us to really focus in on your word today, that it would be edifying for our hearts and for our minds, for our souls, God, that we would Focus on you and remove any distractions that we may have. Holy Spirit, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word. Illuminate the text so that we can become more and more like you. God, we thank you. We honor you. In your name we pray. 
Amen and amen. I have a question for you. What comes to mind when you think of the end times? Like when you hear the words end times, what comes to mind? Like what's one of the first things that you think about when it comes to the end times? I'll tell you what I think about. And maybe some of you guys can relate to this, but I think about Left Behind. Like the movies, anyone ever watch the Left Behind movies? Okay, that's the very first thing I think about when I think about the end times. Those Left Behind movies, I'm not going to lie, were scary. <laughs> they were super, super scary. And I remember watching these movies and then going to sleep and having dreams that I got left behind, okay? And here's the thing. Every time I had the dream, I always got left behind. So I just remember, God, please, I repent. I just place my faith in you. Like, I give you my life, like, every single time because I'm like, I'm not getting left behind, man. Like, it's crazy. Like, everybody took off, and I was just by myself. And so God was definitely trying to tell me something through that. But, but that, that's the first thing I think about when... Um, uh, when we think about the end times, uh, at least for me, just being super scared of, of being left behind. And like I mentioned, we're going to be looking at a text that, 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 uh, that really um, speaks on the end times. And I want to encourage you, even challenge you to be a little open-minded because we come into the end times and to passages like these with all these preconceived ideas, right, of what the passage means. And a lot of the times... We get those ideas from movies or from the news or this weird preacher on YouTube that says that, like, the world's about to end. And So I just want you to be open-minded to really what God's word has to say and as I explain it to you today. Maybe even challenge some of those some preconceived ideas that you've had before. So what I want to do is, again, I want to jump into the text. I want to explain it, help us take a good grasp of it. Then what I want to do at the end is actually give us a few thoughts on, on what we really know about the coming of Christ. Like, the truth is that we don't know when Christ is coming back. We don't know. We just don't. Um, but we do know some things according to Scripture that are pretty clear, and that's what I want to focus on at the very end. Are you guys cool with that? All right. Great. I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're cool with it because I got nothing else. That's, you got no other choice. But uh, 24a, uh, 20, verse 24 says this. It says, but in those days after the tribulation. I want to stop there for a second. But in those days after the tribulation. So uh, notice here what Jesus says that as he's speaking to the disciples. He says, he, he starts with the word but, right, a conjunction there. And so what he's doing here, he's, he's introducing a new theme, a new subject. He's introducing something that's new, a new theme. And that's how he's using uh, this, this transitional word. He's about to contrast the things that he said before, which was really dealing with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, he's going to contrast those events to what? To the end times. That's what he's doing here. Now, Jesus says, but in those days. Well, what days, right? Like, what days is he talking about, right? Well, Jesus gives us a hint or an indication. He says, after that tribulation. In those days, after that tribulation. Question is, what tribulation is he talking about, right? Well, what, what tribulation is Jesus talking about? Uh, I think the tribulation that Jesus is talking about 
was the tribulation that he just talked about in verse 19. Do you remember that? In verse 19, he talks about the tribulation that's going to happen in 70 AD, and we talked about that last week. Remember, uh, the, the, the Jewish uh, historian Josephus described this horrific event that, that uh, uh, so many Jewish people uh, were crucified, that the Romans ran out of crosses inside of the city of Jerusalem. There was murders and famines, disease, cannibalism, all of this stuff, right? And so that's, that's the tribulation that Jesus is talking about. Again, we got to look at the text in context. And so he's referring back to the tribulation he just described of 70 A.D. Now, a lot of people believe that, and again, because this text is pretty hard to interpret, which it could be possible, uh, we got to take a humble approach to this, but a lot of people believe that this refers to the great tribulation um, uh, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, the great tribulation of, of uh, right before, um, or depending on, when you think Jesus is coming, but the tribulation right before the end. And here's the thing. I don't think it refers to the great tribulation of Revelation 7, 14. Here's why. Here's why. The, ter- the term tribulation is used 45 times. And the adjective great uh, is only used twice uh, when it, when in reference to uh, the great tribulation. So it's only used twice uh, with tribulation connected to it. The other time great is used in connection to the tribulation is in Matthew 24, which is actually a parallel account to what we're studying here in Mark. And in that passage, it's basically saying that the tribulation that Jesus just described in 70 AD is great. That's how he's using it there. So it does not designate the great tribulation of Revelation chapter 7 verse 14. And so that's a whole different deal there. He's referring, again, we got to look at the text in its context. He's referring to the tribulation that he just spoke about of 70 AD. So that's what he's saying here is, but in those days, after that tribulation, and here's the thing, he doesn't give a time, right? Like he doesn't give a specific time when, when, when he's coming back, as he's going to explain uh, the com- his second coming, he doesn't give a time. He just simply says, after this tribulation of 70 AD, and then what follows. So he never gives a specific time of when he's coming. He just says, sometime after the great tribulation. Verse 24, it says this. This is what's going to happen after that tribulation. Again, no time given, but sometime in the future, an unknown time in the future. He says this. The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Let me challenge you a little bit. And I was challenged when I was studying this text. Is this a literal description or a figurative description? Because when I would think about the second coming of Christ, I thought it was... Literal, that, that's kind of what I, what I would think. I, just, I think of the sun just coming down and crushing the earth and shooting stars and meat. I got, anybody else, th- is it just me? Does anyone else think that too? Like it was literal, like it's okay if you thought it was literal. Okay. Some of you are like, yeah. But, but that's what I thought. But I want to argue today that this isn't a literal thing, that it's actually figurative. Let me, let me explain why. In Isaiah chapter 13, when, in, when talking about uh, God judging Babylon, a lot of the same terminology is used. So let me read it to you. It says this, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, 
to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Verse 10, here's, here's the, the part I want to focus on. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. So in context here, it's a reference to the judgment that was going to come to the Babylonian empire by their enemies, the Medes. And guess what? It came true. In 539 BC, uh, the Medes um, destroyed the Babylonians. And so here's the thing. Clearly, right, clearly to the readers of Isaiah, uh, this is a description of God's judgment against Babylon. And they never took it in a literal way. Like that never happened. It was a figurative way, right? It was a figurative way to simply describe God's judgment on Israel. So these, these, these signs did not literally take place, but the divine judgment of God to the Babylonians through the means did take place. Now, this happens time and time again through the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel, and the prophet Amos. So it happens time and time again, where it's using this type of language to simply describe God's judgment. So I don't really think that it's a literal thing that the sun's going to come crashing down and and we're going to see meteors and all kinds of stuff like that. It's figurative. Now, the other thing I want to say about this is this, is that it's not, because it's figurative, it can't be signs telling us that Jesus is about to come. Because a lot of times we interpret it that way. When when you see all of these things happening, all of these natural disasters, that means that Jesus is coming. Well, no, if it's figurative, it's really not a sign. What this really is, is this. Jesus, I think, here is using cosmic language, figurative cosmic language, to express a theophany, a theophany, not preliminary signs. That's that's what he's doing here. Now, what is a theophany? What is a theophany? A theophany is a physical appearance or personal manifestation of God to a person. God physically manifesting himself in a physical way to a person. Let me give you two examples. The burning bush. That's a theophany. God is somehow in a physical way revealing himself to Moses. Let me give you another example. God leading the people through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's a theophany. God manifesting himself in a physical way. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's using cosmic figurative language to point to something real, which is a theophany. And what is a theophany? The second coming of Christ the physical appearance of Christ, the return of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, good. All right, you you shook your head, so I'm going to take it as yes. All right. And then verse 26, it says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. I I want to point something out here. Again, there's people that say, hey, this is only 70 AD stuff. This is only end time stuff. But did you notice? Again, remember the context. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Okay? Up to from verse 1 through 23, he's, re- he's been referring to them as you. Right? You be aware. You be, don't, don't be led astray by false teachers. You, you, you. 
Notice the switch to the third person. He says, and they will see. Did you notice that? Did you catch that? They will see. Now, he's talking to his disciples, and he's talking about a future people that will see the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about a future audience. So it's really hard to say that these events here have to do with 70 AD. No, they're, they're about a future. Jesus starts addressing other people, which would include us. Then he says that the Son of Man is coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The backdrop to this is Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting, is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall, ne- shall not be destroyed. This coming king, the son of man, is the son of man of Daniel chapter 7, who will have all dominion, who will have all glory, all power, and every tongue, tribe, and nation will bow its knees to this king, to the son of man, Jesus Christ. He said that he's coming, that he's coming. That's what he says. And throughout the New Testament, the coming of the Lord is always associated with the return of Christ at the end of the age. Let me just give you two examples, especially in Matthew. It says this, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This coming of the Lord, when, it, when it's talking about Jesus, it's always referring to his second coming. This is another reason why I think this is an end times thing. And then lastly, verse 27 says this, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. What is he really trying to say? That the purpose of the return of the Son of Man is to rescue those that he chose to rescue the elect, to return and rescue and gather the elect from the entire world to himself, to return and rescue. Now, again, that's what the passage means, right? Very, very, it's pretty simple, pretty simple to comprehend, pretty simple to understand. And what I want to do now is, like I said, there are some things that we just don't know, right? There's a lot of debate within end time stuff about you know, is Jesus coming before the tribulation, mid-tribulation, after tribulation, like all of this stuff, uh, which we don't really know, right? But we do know that he's coming. We do know that there's a second coming, and there's some things in Scripture that are very clear about his second coming, and I want to point those out to you today. I'm going to have them on the screen if you're taking notes. Here's some things that we're pretty, pretty clear on, and it's this. The first thing is this that Christ's return will be bodily and visible. That Christ's return will be bodily and visible. Listen, when Christ rose from the dead, he did not rise as a, or be raised, he wasn't raised as a spirit, okay? It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection, okay? Acts chapter one, verse 11, it says this, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So as the disciples were there watching Jesus go up to heaven in a bodily form, in a visible form, they actually saw him ascend. In that same way, he's going to return. Jesus had a body and Jesus right now has a physical body. He has a glorified body. He was raised bodily. A lot of um, liberal theologians uh, actually deny this. They deny that Jesus actually rose bodily. They believe that the resurrection of Jesus was just some kind of metaphor to say that we have been somehow, in a spiritual sense, just been raised to life. But this, is, this goes contrary to what we're reading here. No, no, Jesus was raised bodily, and one day we will also be raised bodily as well. And we'll get into that in just a second. But that's the first thing that we do know about Christ's return. You will see him. Like, if you're still on the earth, you will see him come down in a bodily way. Number two, Christ's return will deliver his people from suffering. Christ's return will deliver his people from suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When is his glory revealed at his second coming? So when Christ comes, church, believer, no more suffering. No more suffering at all. No more pain. No more mourning. No more crying. No more death. Every single tear wiped away. That's the hope that you have as a believer. No more suffering. No more pain. Jesus says, right, in this life you will have trouble. You remember when he said that? Remember, look at it closely. He, closely, he says, in this life, what about the next? Perfect peace. Perfect peace. The absence of pain, the absence of suffering, the absence of depression, the absence of just physical pain. So believer, I don't know what you're going through today. But the second coming of Jesus is much more than intellectual knowledge. It's much more than, oh, let's just talk about the end times and trying to figure out when he's coming back. No. It's comfort for the believer. It's comfort for the soul as we go through difficult circumstances and trials. It's comforting. I just read our dream team this verse. I don't have it up on here, but I, I just I had to share it with you. Paul's talking about suffering, and look what he says. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart, believer. Though our outer self is wasting away, your body, because we live in a corrupted world, as much as you want to work out and stay in shape, your body is corrupting, right? That's just what's happening. Your, your body's wasting away. Your outer appearance, everything that's going on might be just crumbling down, and it looks like you're wasting away. But look what he says. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So as you're wasting away, your inner self, your spirit is being strengthened and being renewed. For this light, momentary, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul says, as you're suffering, right, put suffering in its place, 
that it's light suffering compared to the fullness and blessing of the glory of God you will experience with him at his return, right? It's momentary. It, it's, it's temporary. But life with God is eternal. His peace, his comfort, his joy, his presence when you're with him is eternal. So believer, look what he says. He says, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Believer, put your hope in the unseen. He's coming back. He's coming back to remove all suffering. May it comfort your soul. May it just encourage your heart. May it, may it, may it give you perseverance to keep on going. It's comforting. It's not just some intellectual knowledge. It's practical reality. Number three, Christ will rescue his people from wrath. Christ will rescue people from wrath. First Thessalonians chapter one, it says this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, look, it says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The second coming of Christ sets in motion this, actually, it started on the, on the cross and the resurrection, but through the second coming, it gets closer and closer that Jesus, through his second coming, elect, getting his elect together, are, he's going to save them from the future wrath to come at the end of the end of the age. Now, we don't like to talk about wrath at church, right? Because it's not popular. Who likes to talk about wrath? We like to talk about God's love and grace and mercy and all of that stuff, which is great. Which I, I, God is love. God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. But that is a half-truth. And a half-truth is a full lie. If we're going to teach the scriptures, if, if we're going to really tell you what's in here, as I said last week, church, I got to tell you the whole counsel of God. Yes, we preach the love of God, but we also preach the wrath of God. Yes, we preach the kindness of God, but we also preach the holiness and justice of God. And so Jesus sets in motion rescuing those who have repented and placed their faith in him from the wrath to come at the end of the age. You see, church, we love John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. We love that verse. We, we always stop there. If you continue to read to John chapter 3, 36, 20 verses down, it says that those who don't obey and those don't believe will experience what? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. I just lay it before you today. You internalize it. You wrestle with that. But that's just the truth. But for the believer, again, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? If you're a believer, you will not experience the wrath of God. But his comfort, his presence, there's nothing to worry about, believer, at all. Number four, Christ's return will be accompanied by the resurrection of those who belong to Christ. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we are who alive, who, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's talking about the rapture here. Essentially, what he's saying is when Christ comes back, the believers who have passed away will be uh, rise, risen with Christ, will rise with Christ, be caught up in the air. After those who have died are raised with Christ in the air, then those who are still alive at that time will also be caught up with Christ in the air as well. And notice what it says in verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. The rapture, instead of bringing fear into your life, what? Must bring encouragement. That one day we will rise again with Christ. It's an encouragement. It's not a fearful thing. It's not something to be afraid or worried about if you are in Christ. But an encouragement as we await that day, as we await that day, and I hope, I hope I don't get left behind because I'm still a little traumatized by those movies. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I hope I don't get left behind. Just kidding. I have assurance of salvation. Okay, number five. Christ's return will, tra- this is my favorite, by the way. This is my favorite, somebody. Christ's return will transform our natural bodies into glorified, imperishable bodies. Come on, come on, somebody. Anyone thankful for that? Come on. Woo! This is God. This is God, right? This is God. There, I don't know if you've read in this scripture um, uh, somewhere where it talks about instead of having to build a bear, it's build a body in heaven. You get to pick out your own body and stuff. You know, I want, I want you know, these abs. I want these pigs. I want these. It's in there. You've got to find it somewhere. I think it's like first opinions, chapter four. But anyway, but God's going to transform us. Again, remember, Christ is the first fruits, right? He was raised, what, bodily. So that's what we have to look for. That's, that, that's, that's something that we hope for and await, that we will be raised bodily, perfect, imperishable. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, in, what is, sown is perishable. What is raised, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in what glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, if you're really sharp, you're like, it says that we're raised a spiritual body. You just said it's a physical body. Like, what? You're contradicting yourself. No, I'm not. Okay, so let me show you why. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, in that passage, it talks about how we will have a body like his. How is Jesus's body? a physical, glorified, perfect body. Here, when it's talking about a spiritual body, I think most theologians and scholars would say that it's a body that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're still empowered by the Holy Spirit. You're still a, 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 a body, a physical body that, that, where the Spirit dwells, dwells in you. So it's a Holy Spirit, physical, perfect, glorious body. 1 Corinthians 15 gives us even uh, a little more insight. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye 
at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put, must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. A physical, immortal body in the presence of God forever. So there's a lot of thought about uh, believers when they go to heaven, we're going to be spirits floating on clouds, playing the harp and stuff. No, we're not going to be spirits. We're going we're to have physical bodies. You're going to have a physical body in heaven. And did you also know that heaven, in the way we think about it, right, like somewhere up there, did you know that heaven is not our final resting place? Did you know that? We will have a new heaven and a new earth, meaning that we will have either this earth here restored, renewed, or either completely destroyed and recreated, but we will be on earth somewhere in a physical body, not somewhere in the clouds as spirits, but physical bodies. Next, number six, Christ will, uh, Christ's return will initiate the permanent dwelling of Christ with his people. John chapter 14, 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. He's preparing a place to simply be with us believer. He prepares a place to continue to have a relationship with us, where we dwell with him in his presence forever. And guess what? Here's the thing. You don't have to wait until that day because the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The presence of God is in you. But yet, that's still a hope that we have, dwelling with God forever. Lastly, is this. Christ's return will punish those who reject him. Matthew 13, 40 through 43, just as the weeds are gathered, burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fire furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom, kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Second coming of Christ sets in motion the judgment at the end of the end of the age, at the final judgment for those who have rejected Christ. For those who have not placed their faith in him. So I guess the question is this. Again, this is not just information for information's sake. Christ is real and he's coming back. The question is, if you're still alive when he returns, how will he find you? There's only two types of people in this world. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. That's it. Doesn't matter 
where you're born, how much money you have, your political views, your theological views, doesn't matter what your skin color, doesn't matter. None of that matters. You're in Christ or you're not. How will he find you? Maybe you pass away before the return of Christ. Will you be one of those that will be raised first, caught up in the air with Christ? I hope so. I really do. And the truth is, if I could be real with you, this is bad news. It's bad news. There's also good news. The good news of the gospel. That yes, we have sinned against a holy and perfect and righteous God. And we deserve this wrath. We deserve it. The good news is, that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to bear the full wrath of the Father upon him so that we didn't have to bear it. And if you place your faith in Christ, you'll be saved. Forgiven. No more condemnation. No more worry. Life here today and life to come. Because guess what? When you give your life to Christ, when you repent and place your faith in him, eternity actually starts that moment. Eternity matters. And I don't know where you're at. I can't assume that we're all believers just because we come to church. But I tell you this, there's good news. While you still have breath in your lungs, while you still can make a conscious decision to submit and surrender your life to Christ. Believer, I love what John says at the end of Revelation. What does he say? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Believer, may that be your prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Take me home. Not even death can scare us. Nothing can scare us. Come, take me, be in your presence. And in the meantime, church, doesn't that just tell us how important the gospel is to reach people who are far from Christ, to reach people who don't know him, the only thing you can take to heaven is people. Can't take your car. Can't take your house. Can't take your money. Can't take your reputation. Nothing. The only thing you can take to heaven is people. This is a gospel issue. May we be people who preach the gospel, share the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's forgiveness and grace in Christ Jesus. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.